Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. This is Mind Your Banners for Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. We have uh, been doing fewer of these, as you'd expect, uh, since the season ended. Uh, But of course, big, big news late last week. As Indiana beats out Kansas and to a lesser extent Louisville and St. John's for the commitment of McKenzie Mbaco, um, a 6'8 forward in the class of 2023 from Roselle Catholic, the New Jersey powerhouse program. Um, Mbaco once committed to or signed with Duke, I should say, reopened in the spring, had no shortage of suitors. Ultimately, it came down to IU and Kansas. Uh, and Indiana was able to win his uh, commitment. Uh, they actually announced Mbako officially today, which means he's signed all his paperwork. It's all been certified. He is officially uh, in the program. And we held off on podcasting until today, in part because we wanted to bring in a big hitter and uh, a, a good friend of the podcast, uh, Jeffrey Borzello, recruiting insider, recruiting expert for ESPN. Jeff, thanks for joining us. You call me, was it a heavy hitter, big hitter? Is that big hitter. It? Big hitter. Okay, I'll take it. There's a lot of pressure, but I'll take it. Yeah, well, How are you? It's, it's, Thanks for having me. We the, the pressure cooker, pressure creates diamonds here on Mind Your Banners. Um, McKenzie Mbaco, a five-star player, I think, according to just about anybody, ESPN's got him ninth in, in its top 100. I think you'd find him basically anywhere from about 8 to 15, depending on where you look. The point is everyone kind of consensus sees him as one of the best – prospects in the class um and and jeff we we as i said we really appreciate you appreciate you joining us to talk about kind of a wide range of of topics relating to his commitment but i the first question is is maybe the most obvious one which is just you know for people who haven't seen a ton of mckenzie and Baco, and i imagine uh, you know many iu fans hadn't because he wasn't really an iu target his first sort of roll through his recruitment. It wasn't until this re-recruitment that Indiana really got heavily involved. So I don't think Indiana fans have been watching McKenzie and Baco develop over the last several months or years, whatever you want to say, just, just your thoughts on, I guess, the player uh, again, as one who is probably widely regarded as, as one of the better prospects in this class. So I watched him a bunch last July uh, on the AAU circuit. And I came out of that month thinking he was the best player in the class or had a really strong case to be the best player in the 2023 class. And in fact, I, I pulled 20 NBA scouts and college coaches who were there at Peach Jam and who had seen these guys a bunch of times, and he got the most votes for the number one player in the class. Now, it hasn't quite gone that way since then. I mean, his shot hasn't been as consistent as it was that week. But when I saw him in July, I thought he was tremendous. He was he's 6'8". He can grab a rebound. He can go. He can push the ball. Um, you know, he's not a, you know, a guy that's going to create a ton of shots for others, but he can grab and go and he can push the ball up the floor and find guys. And when I watched him, he was making shots. And I think that's going to be the, the kind of the thing that really kind of dictates or determines how good he's going to be not only in Indiana, but in the NBA, because at his size, if he can make shots, which he did a ton. I mean, there was a six or seven game stretch last July where he was making multiple threes every game. Now, again, it hasn't happened that has not continued throughout the high school season. And he was not, you know, reportedly not very good at McDonald's game, but 
I think that when his shot is falling, he's just one of the more complete offensive players in the class just because of his size, his strength. He's pretty good in the mid-range. When he's hitting outside shots, he can get to the rim. Um, I just think he's kind of the complete package when that shot is falling. And so if he plays more like he did when I saw him at Peach Jam last July, I think he's as good as anyone in the class. And again, you know, it wasn't just me. There, there was 20 you know, coaches and scouts that I polled, and, and he had the most number one votes of anybody, including DJ Wagner, including Justin Edwards, all these other guys. And he was the best player in July. And so that's why I've always been kind of high on him, even when, you know, he wasn't great in the high school season. He wasn't great at McDonald's practices. He was really good at the Nike Hoop Summit. And, you know, that reminded me of how he played in July. And so I just think that when he has it all going, there's nobody in the class better than him. I guess I I wanted to hit on that from a volume perspective. Obviously, one of the things, maybe the defining sort of question of Indiana's offseason has just been, how do you replace this enormous tonnage of production? If you look at where Indiana ended last season, obviously, Trace Jackson Davis is gone. Obviously, Jalen Huchafina was gone. But even you talk about Miller Cop, you talk about, um, you know, Race Thompson, Tamar Bates could be inconsistent, but he was at least certainly a three-point threat off the bench. You know, that there is just if we're just sitting here counting minutes, field goal attempts, possessions used, obviously points scored, um, you know, Indiana just had this gaping hole. Now they've added some other pieces. They've added Kalel Ware and Peyton Sparks, and they've got a couple freshmen coming in. They've obviously got Xavier Johnson, Malik Renew, Trey Galloway, et cetera, coming back. But I think you know, at least to the to the sort of naked eye, one of the big differences maybe in you know, sort of the, the recruiting pitch between Indiana and Kansas might have been that Indiana could look at McKenzie and Baco and say, listen, we have got so much that we need to replace here. You are not going to be starved ever for minutes, for shots, for opportunities. Just, I mean, how do you think he steps in, especially maybe as a player that Indiana is going to ask to play a little bit more three? I know some people see him as maybe leaning toward a three. Some people tilt him more toward a four. I think Indiana is probably going to have him more at the three. How do you see him as a player that maybe is going to be asked to shoulder a large offensive load? You talk about he can score in a lot of different ways, but do you think he's going to be – do you think that he's going to be able to translate that when Indiana's not just going to say, hey, we love all the ways you can score? They're going to say, no, we need all the ways you can score. And I think he'll be fine with that. And, and another thing about last July when I saw him is, is DJ Wagner was coming off of uh, playing for USA Basketball. So he missed some games last July, which put more – of the kind of the onus offensively on Mbako. And he seemed fine with that. And, you know, when, when people talk about his shooting, it's not, a, you know, an occasional two or three three-pointers a game. I mean, he's he's taking seven, eight three-pointers a game, uh, you know, all of last spring and summer. And so he's ready for that volume. And, you know, when you kind of look at what Indiana has offensively, like you mentioned, they're going to need him to play the three. They're going to need, need to put the ball in his hands, the, a, a large majority of possessions. And he's going to have to make shots. He's going to have to make plays. They don't have a ton of creators. They don't have a ton of shot makers right now. And so I think he'll be okay with that. I think that he's, like I said, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, if he can grab a rebound, he'll be able to push it himself. You know, he's not going to, you don't, you're not going to have to run him off pin downs and all this other stuff and, and run a million things for him. You can give him the ball and, and, and kind of say, go create something, go make a shot. And I think he'll be fine with doing that. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, if you look at how Indiana compared to Kansas, I think Kansas, especially with, adding Hunter Dickinson, I mean, they would have to run a lot of their offense through him. You know, they're going to have to run, run a lot of high-low stuff with KJ Adams and Hunter Dickinson. And and obviously, you know, you it, the spacing on that could could cause some issues for, for Mbaco. And now, I mean, you can say the same thing for Indiana. You could say they don't have a ton of shooters and, you know, defenses can kind of collapse. But if they can go out and add a shooter and, and 
you know, Trey Galloway can, can be a little bit more volume guy. I think they can have a little bit of, of spacing offensively. They're going to need more. Um, but in terms of pure volume and, and, and becoming the one or two, the number one or two option for Indiana, I think Mbako's going to be fine with that. I guess something else I wanted to ask in that regard was we're talking a lot here about his offensive game, and it's not like Indiana's going to ask him to do other things. But, you know, in an ideal world, he's going to be playing next to a 60-year point guard who's very comfortable being kind of the, you know, the offensive sort of fulcrum, give me the ball, I'll get us into the offense, whether it's in transition or the half court. Indiana's obviously reloaded in the front court. I don't think they're going to play in nearly the same sort of post-up heavy offense. I think Mike Woodson has been pretty transparent about that, that a lot of that was based around Trace Jackson Davis's skill rather than Mike Woodson's preference of like, this is the player I want and the offense I want to run. But you've got players like Ware, like Sparks, like Renew that can probably do a lot of the heavy lifting from a rebounding perspective as an example. Do you think there's, I mean, not that you won't ask McKenzie and Baco to be effective defensively or to rebound the ball or whatever, but do you think it it almost makes it easier even for an elite player that you maybe can look at him and say, listen, the, the, the biggest thing we need from you is just at the offensive end of the floor. We've got guys that can handle some of the other things. We're not asking you to go out there and be our leading scorer, rebounder, shot blocker, number one defender, all that. He's obviously going to have to get better in some areas, but Indiana can – as much as you would ever do with a five-star player, sort of, you know, say, you know, the, the vast majority of your focus is probably going to be just giving us offense in, in all its various forms. Yeah. I mean, he, he's switchable defensively just because of his size and, and, you know, he's got some lateral quickness, things like that. He's not a lockdown defender. And I do think he'll probably, especially given that, you know, as we've kind of discussed, Indiana's probably going to end up playing bigger um, than, than they did or than most teams will. And so he's going to have to end up guarding guys that are 6'3", 6'4". He could struggle in a couple of those situations. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be to the point where, you know, teams are targeting him every possession down the floor and he's giving up a bucket. And, and you know, when he, at the end of the day, you look at, at how many points he scored versus how many points he gave up and he's a net negative. I don't think it's, it's going to be anything like that. I think he's going to have to adjust a little bit to guarding smaller players. But um, I think he's he's going to end up being fine defensively. Um especially in the big 10, I think it'll be okay. It's not going to be, you know, running up and down, things like that. Um, I think he'll be fine at that end of the floor. And I think what he does offensively will, you know, far outweigh any deficiencies, any deficiencies he has at the other end of the floor. You mentioned the, the big 10 and obviously it is a conference that I think is, has fought against certain perceptions or stereotypes of, you know, just slow sort of methodical, sometimes plotting basketball. And I'm not saying it can't still be that at times, but, but one of the things that actually strangely the big 10 seems to have had um, quite a lot of in the last few years is pretty good wing play. The Murray twins, um, you know, Johnny Davis, Caleb Houston, I guess to some extent, Jaden Ivy, he was a little bit of a lot of things for that Purdue team by the end. Um, Obviously some of that is just, coaches and styles and, and how they Ter- Terrence them. Terrence Shannon erasure by you well I just got tired of listing people also <laughs> I can't remember everybody it's May my basketball brain is is turned off um but just I don't know is it do you feel like there is maybe a bit more of this opening because it, it does seem like you know whenever and some of this is probably also just sort of you know fan driven or, or media created but it's it sometimes seems like when you know when Big Ten teams like Indiana like Michigan like Michigan State get into high level recruitments one of the things it feels like they're sort of tacking into the wind against is this perception that elite players sometimes struggle to get showcased in the conference. 
it does feel a little bit though like Mbako kind of plays a position that actually quietly the Big Ten is has really been able to kind of put a, a spotlight on in the last two, three, four years. And again, some of that is just coaches. You know, some of that is just the way you know a coach develops a certain player, or you know the Murray twins being you know growing up where they grew up and the connection to Iowa and all that, whatever. Um, but do, do you almost kind of? I guess I'm asking this in a loaded way. Forgive me, but do you almost sort of feel that that the Big Ten has quietly had more room for, even if maybe you want to see it a certain way, a player like Jaron Jackson, just in the last four or five years, players that can play more of this sort of tweener position, can score outside, can bang inside a little bit, or at least score inside, and can be sort of those versatile wing threats. Because certainly, if nothing else, Indiana fans have felt like they've just kind of, they have gotten uh, pulled apart by them a lot in the last few years. I think Indiana fans would tell you they have nightmares about a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, I think big wings, like I, you know, like you said, I mean, the, the, the whole plotting Big Ten thing is kind of, I don't know how true it is for every team anymore, but I do think the more half court focused style of the league kind of caters to having a bigger wing. You know, you can you can go out there with a six eight Mackenzie Mbako at the three, and you're not worried about playing against a six three, you know, freakish athlete running up and down, um, you know, beating you down the floor every time. Um, and I, I think that, you know, just the league itself, I mean, if, if, you know, more than half the league is running out a six, 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 seven, six, eight, small forward kind of bigger lineup, it, it just enables you to play that lineup more. And, and, and I think that Indiana can point to, you know, I mean, even last year they played, you know, with Ray Thompson, Trace Jackson Davis, they play two guys that do the majority of their work inside. You know, there's not, not every league you can do that and kind of consistently win. Um, you know, there's, I just, you know, there's, there's, but you can look at like a big East and big East is kind of doing something similar. It's these, these bigger lineups, these big teams that are playing bigger front courts and, um, not saying we're going back to old school basketball where three pointers don't exist, but like there are teams that are just throwing the ball inside or they're saying, Hey, we're bigger than you. We're going to go score around the rim. We're going to, I mean, just look at the final four. I mean, UConn won because they were bigger than most teams, San Diego state throughout a huge lineup and that's why they were really good defensively. I mean, obviously Miami is, is an exception. There are other teams that are exceptions, but I think teams are, or a lot of programs are showing, Hey, you can play bigger. And if some of those guys can hit threes, like Mbako can, like Khalil Ware can, you know, I, I think there's enough versatility in, in these front courts where you can succeed. And I think Indiana kind of fits into that. It's not like they're going to be throwing out, you know, Malik Renault and Khalil Ware and Mbako. They're all just going to sit around the rim and try to, you know, and fight for bat- fight for points at the rim. You know, two of those guys can make shots, and I think the spacing will be okay. So I, I think that, you know, the Big Ten as a whole has kind of shown that big wings can succeed. And even if you look at the rosters for this season coming up, I mean, how many of these teams are really going to be playing three guardish lineups? I mean, Michigan State probably, and they're probably the favorite to win the league. But going down the line, it's all going to be bigger lineups again. That's just kind of how the league has succeeded, and that's how a lot of teams in college basketball are starting to succeed too. I wanted to ask about, I guess, perception too about Indiana and then get your thoughts a little bit about just where IU is in, in the context of being last year's Big Ten favorite and having to rebuild a lot. But, um, you know, it's it it was striking. I, I don't think I even realized it as someone who kind of lives in, in this world day to day, obviously, just professionally. I don't think I even realized that Indiana only had one draft pick between 2018 and 2022, that that Romeo Langford was the only player Indiana had drafted um, between the 2018 draft and the 2022 draft. They're obviously, I would say, likely at this point to have two picks this summer and Jalen Huchifino and Trace Jackson Davis. You've now, you know, you you never know what's going to happen, but you've now got 
a top 10, you know, five-star level player from this class on your roster. You've got a player in Kalel Ware. I think a lot of people still think has NBA potential coming in as a transfer from Oregon. One of the things that I think Indiana has felt like it's fought for a long time is, is sort of an, an ability or maybe an inability at times to gain a reputation where, you know, players of a certain caliber basically trust. I think I can be one and done, maybe two and done. And I can do that at this program. And obviously there are certain programs that just kind of flood the zone with that. Kentucky's done it in the past. Duke's done it in the past, but there's a lot more programs like Kansas that maybe, you know, tend to have like a one and done type player. Most years fill in around that with players who stay for two, three years, maybe a couple four year players. But the point is, there's a level of prospect that trusts if I go there and I have this kind of potential, then I can develop quickly into that kind of player. And I can have those kinds of options on the table for me very quickly at that program. You're only to some extent recruiting as good as the next, you know, as the next big player you land. I understand that, but how much do you think a Jalen Hood Shafino, maybe to a lesser extent of Trace Jackson Davis, certainly if, you can, if Mike Woodson can kind of repeat the process with a McKenzie and Baco or a Kalel where does that maybe start to change certain perceptions around Indiana as a place that these kinds of players, this level of talent can go develop. And again, just be presented with those professional options very quickly. I think Hood Shafino might be the bigger one just because, you know, just the way college basketball has been going the last few years, freshmen aren't making the same impact they were 10 years ago, five years ago, even. I mean, a lot of them are coming in, and teams, teams at the top of the rankings are just saying, all right, we want to be old. We want to go get five transfers, and we want to have an average age of 21, 22, 23 years old, and freshmen are going to take time. And I think now you're seeing if a guy like Jalen Huchifino can come in, and he was one of the best freshmen in the country, and he's going to you know, be a whatever first-round pick, borderline lottery pick. And I think if you see that, if you're a high school kid and you say, all right, well, he went there, and if you look around the country, there's only maybe 10 or 11 kids that are doing the same thing. And if two of them are at Kentucky and two of them are at Duke, and then, you know, suddenly there's only five or six programs that are kind of catering to freshmen. And I think if, if Puchofino does it and then Mbaco does it in back-to-back years, I mean, that's just going to be eye-opening. I mean, there's there's probably going to be – if hypothetically, if Mbaco has a big freshman year and is a lottery pick next year, now I know that's far away, you know, Indiana's going to be one of, I don't know, five programs that has – probably even less – that has two freshmen – back-to-back years be top 15, top 20 picks in the NBA draft. There's just not going to be a lot of programs with the way that, you know, roster building, roster construction is going transfer heavy. There's just not a lot of opportunity for freshmen to come in and make an impact. And so I think that's going to be big. If Huchifino and then Mbako can do it back-to-back years, I think Indiana can suddenly be, you know, sort of a destination for guys that say, or, you know, Mike Woodson can say, hey, you know, we, we give the, the ball to, to our freshmen and give them some freedom. And if, if they show they can make shots, we're going to keep doing it. And, you know, I, I think that that would be as good of a sales pitch as any school in the country. If they can show back-to-back years that their system and their offense and everything caters to guys that can make plays right away, I think that's that's it's a tangible thing moving forward on the recruiting trail. It's kind of cliche to ask this, but, you know, it, it, it always comes up whenever you have this conversation with someone this – this kind of question of like, was the Woodson hire smart? Was it clever? What has it been successful? Will it continue to be successful? I, I mean, I think people probably know where I stand on it relative to McKenzie and Baco's commitment. I wrote something the day he committed, basically saying this was the sort of outcome that Indiana envisioned when it hired him, um, that, that he would be able to parlay 
you know, decades of experience in the NBA and connections in the NBA and, and just time spent in the NBA with being able to talk very frankly and honestly with players about what it takes to get there and how he can do that. And I think Trace Jackson Davis has gone at, at, you know, in depth about how he helped him with that. Jalen Huchafino, you talked about, I think has, has, you know, kind of been, been pretty open about sort of his praise of, of, you know, this is what I was promised and this is what I got and, and look where it got me. Now you've got another player sort of following another couple players, maybe following that path as well. I'm not saying Indiana unlocks some, you know, magic secret, you know, you've got Michigan obviously did it with Juwan Howard, Arkansas, to some extent anyway, with Eric Musselman, who'd been in the NBA for a long time before coming back to college. And, and I know we had a stop between there and, and Arkansas, but I don't think everybody's going to run out and start hiring NBA coaches, but do you see this as, as kind of becoming more of a, more of a, a norm where basically you can, it's not sort of looked at as what are you doing hiring a guy that doesn't have a lot of college experience and looked at maybe more as, especially in the overtime elite era, the transfer portal era, when, you know, the, we've, when players suddenly have more options than they've ever had, both at the college level and possibly in routes to the pros, you know, programs needing to bring in people and surround themselves with people that can talk very sort of earnestly and honestly about, I know what walking that path requires and I can show you the way essentially. Well, I think Indiana in particular, I think they're, they're, what they've done around Mike Woodson is it's really important. I mean, obviously what he's done, what, what Mike Woodson's done in terms of, Hey, we're going to kind of cater our offense to the best players and you're going to have opportunities and, you know, we're going to win. And, you know, you get point to Huchafino. I also think Indiana is, you know, their NIL structure is as good as anywhere in the country, you know, from what I've heard. And, you know, I think NBA guys in particular, they excel a little bit more and, and Musselman's a perfect example of this. They excel at these kind of shorter recruitments. And I think he's, I mean, I think Musselman's talked about it and saying, you know, it's recruiting a transfer. It's a three week deal. And it's, it's for a lot of these NBA guys, it's easier to sell them on, Hey, you've got to recruit this kid. He's an immediate impact player. You only have to recruit him for a month as opposed to, Hey, you're going to recruit this, this high school junior for two years before we just, we see what happens. And so, Mbako is was more of the transfer like recruitment than a typical high schooler. I mean, it was a it was a month long, uh, maybe even less than that, a month long recruitment. And so I think that that kind of falls right into to the wheelhouse of most of these guys that come from an NBA background into college, um, guys that don't necessarily want to recruit a kid for two or three years before seeing the outcome. Now, Indiana has done pretty well in the recruiting trail, high school recruiting trail under Mike Woodson too. But I think that the way that the sport is going with everything is kind of short term. So many kids in the portal, a lot of decommitments in the spring, kids waiting to sign. I think that falls more into I think that falls right into the kind of the wheelhouse of most of these NBA guys. And so I, I think that combined with with he's got, a you know, Mike Wentz has got a really good recruiting staff. I think he's the on court performance and package and system. Um, I think that's pretty attractive. And like I said, I think NIL has been huge for Indiana. Um, and that's, that it's not something that, you know, I know when people bring up NIL, it's always kind of a taboo subject. I mean, I think Indiana should go out and promote that, you know, that they're, they're doing well in NIL. And like, I think Miami should have promoted that. And I think all these programs that are doing well in NIL should promote that. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the recruiting pitch now. And if, if more kids know that you have an organized collective and things like that, I mean, I think that plays a huge part in, in recruiting now. 
I guess last question for you is is just bigger picture sort of snapshot of Indiana. Again, obviously, I think everyone understands a, a program that had a lot to do um, going into the offseason. I think to to some extent, you know, this was always – it didn't sneak up on Indiana, I don't think, that, that they were going to have to deal with this kind of talent drain. I think it was always expected they would be very active in the portal. They have been. They've had some hits. They've had some misses. Um, Mbaco didn't necessarily, McKenzie Mbaco didn't necessarily fall into their lap, but obviously this wasn't an expected opportunity. It's one that opened up when he he asked out of his letter of intent with Duke. Um, they've got one scholarship left. You know, my educated guess is probably that they're just sort of keeping their powder dry, waiting to see, um, you know, kind of what falls out post combine. Some guys that maybe are still in the NBA draft, but might also be in the portal, you know, and see what opportunities arise there. But as things stand, um, I think you had Indiana top 15 around this time a year ago. Again, you know, even acknowledging sort of all of their sort of flaws and, and questions, a lot of us put them, if not first in the Big Ten preseason, then certainly top three or four. Um, where do you feel like they stand from a, you know, from a national perspective as someone who can zoom out from just sort of the Big Ten tunnel? Where do you think Indiana is right now as a team, and and you know, kind of what do you feel like they need to maybe go up to a level where you can trust them a little bit more going into next season? Yeah, I mean, when Mbako committed, I saw some some stuff on social media that you know Indiana should be considered a, a Big Ten title contender now, and I think that's I'd I'd pump the brakes pretty considerably on on something like that. I just I think it's a they're missing a huge piece right now. I think, and and it's it's you know it doesn't it's not a secret that they need a another shooter score on the perimeter. Um, you know, they, they, and I think they knew it. I mean, they went after, you know, Dalton connect and Cormac Ryan and all these other guys. And, and I think that's still a pretty big hole. And because if you look at their lineup and, you know, I think Xavier Johnson, the point guard is fine. And I think Mbako at the three is going to be good. And they have kind of the rotation of bigs, but they need that guy that can make shots in the perimeter consistently. And now, you know, is Trey Galloway going to, you know, take the next step and suddenly average 12 points a game and, and shoot 40% on, on increased volume from three, maybe. But I think that they could go out and find a more proven point producer, and obviously they tried to do it. But I just think right now there's some questions on on spacing, on shooting, on how the, uh, you know, the post-rotation works. Uh, you know, does Khalil Ware play consistently? Uh, you know, last November, December, he was great. I mean, he looked the part of lottery pick, top 10 recruit, all that. By the end of the season, he was barely playing for a, you know, middling Oregon team. Um, and so I just think there's still a lot of questions. The jury is still out on a lot of these different things. Now, if they go out, you know, there's not a ton of guys up in the portal, but if they can go out and find whether it's a reclassification, whether it's somebody in the portal, whether it's, you know, whether it's a grad transfer that enters in July, they need a, a proven score, a proven shooter on the wing next to Mbako, next to Xavier Johnson. If they get that, then I think they're a preseason top 15, top 20 team for now. I think they're still on the outside looking in for the top 25. We'll leave it there for now. Um, Jeff, we, we really appreciate you joining uh, the podcast this week to talk about McKenzie and Baco. Obviously, uh, a lot of fans sort of intensely interested. I think it's fair to say Indiana fans probably haven't been this energized in May in a while. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back, I promise, sooner than the gap between our last podcast and this one um, because I think there will be a little bit more to talk about, at least to just kind of round off sort of Indiana's work here in the spring because obviously in just two or three weeks, uh, Indiana will start bringing these players to campus and start summer workouts. So until then, for the Indianapolis Star, um, this has been Mind Your Banners for May 16th, 2023. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 
Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.